Business is simple. It's just not easy. We focus on three things to help you run and grow your business more easily. Talent, sales, and how to scale. Can it be that simple? Talent. Develop a robust recruiting, vetting, and training process to help capable people and then help them to become who and what they want to be. Sales. Have a logical go-to-market strategy. Build the sales and marketing structure and plan around it and then attack and execute the plan with fanatical consistency. Scale. Know where you're going, why you're going. Share with others why they would want to join you. Be clear on who's allowed to join you and what they'll need to do to stay on board. Anticipate roadblocks. Avoid them before you get stuck. And then when you do hit one, and you will, stay calm, problem solve, and find resources to get unstuck. Sounds simple, right? Simple to understand, but not easy to do. Join us as we focus on the tips and tricks and hacks for running a profitable, hyper-growth business. We'll share real-world horror stories and celebrate the victory sagas that will inspire you. This is the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. Hey, everyone. Brian Whittington with this episode of the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. We have a real treat. We have Amy Volos on with us. Now, she is the who's who here. Uh, Let me lay this out. So not only is she the host of Thursday Night Sales, 2020 LinkedIn Top Voice, founder and CEO of Avenue Talent Partners, but also, and I didn't realize this, you're a founding member a member of Sales Hackers. That's a pretty, pretty impressive bio. So all of that to say, welcome, Amy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk shop. So appreciate the lovely invite here, Brian. Yeah, I appreciate you putting some time aside. So Amy is, uh, you know, with that much going on, a, a little bit busy. Um, so we're going to jump right into this. And we'll kick off with the, the, the first question that we always ask, Amy, other than that impressive bio. Uh, topic for today is getting some insights on how to effectively hire salespeople and why are salespeople maybe arguably the most difficult position to hire for? So that's going to be the topic. So Amy, why in the world should we listen to you in and around this topic? So I've been in the game for over 20, going into 25 years. Um, so I'm a practitioner first. So sales is my first business love. I've sold over a hundred million of, of, of dollars in, in revenue sold and counting. Um, and I've been around the block a really long time. And I think for me, and in compare and contrast that to, I spent a big chunk of my time in the HR tech and recruiting and talent acquisition space, selling products and services. And so through the years, I've always listened. So I'm a big believer that ultimately people want to be seen and heard and people take action when you can fundamentally help them. And that's by solving problems, helping people reach their goals, helping them get better. Those are like the three pillars. And so when I think about that, uh, I have been fascinated by people since I think I came out of the womb. And the big takeaway is uh, people are really... um, hard to find from a sales perspective for many companies because they approach it like a one size fits all. And so from my vantage point, I've studied this and I've been part of it and I've made mistakes and I've done things really, really well. And um, my 
infinite number of conversations I've lost track a long, long time ago about sales and hiring and uh, getting that right and not getting that right. There were common themes. And so when I started my company over five years ago, I took those common themes and I really put a lot of thought around for these broken bits and pieces are these things that I can really help with and how can I do that? And so the reason why I'm equipped to do this, I've done the job myself. I speak that language fluently. I'm not just trying to talk about something that I haven't done or I don't understand. Uh, and I care an awful lot about the ecosystem and I spend a lot of time listening and um, taking account of what the problems are and there's nothing new. They're all just the same. And so uh, I think that's probably why you wanted me to come talk today and hopefully it's why people haven't hung up yet. So, <laughs> so there's that. Um, so it's a, it's a wealth of, of experience and knowledge that comes from a, a, a body of work and career that spans decades. Got it. Well, so, and there was a lot there. So I appreciate that. Now, whenever you were in sales, you were selling mostly SaaS uh, technology type of products. Is, is that correct? Or have you always been in the, in the people space? So always the people space selling both products. So like software products and then services. So right. those are two very different things. So I have experience in both and, and they're oh. not the same. No, they're not at all. So uh, let's let's talk about you. You've said there's a couple of common themes. I think you said five common themes. Let's let's touch on that real quick. What would you say the five common themes are that we should be looking for? So one is a preaching a preaching. Monday, <laughs> I haven't had caffeine yet. Um, approaching it like it's one size fits all, thinking that salespeople are all the same. It's not. Um, like hiring an engineer, where that's a very sort of linear in thought process and approach, there's lots of gray area here. And what makes this salesperson over here great and good is not going to necessarily be the same thing as the salesperson over here. So that's step one. Um, step two is that people shoot from the hip. They have an event that happens. Maybe it's funding. Maybe it's a new year, new budget what do we do now we need to hire? And it's this whole thing of, well, I just need to go and hire a salesperson without any thought or understanding around that. Um, so that's the second one. The third one is that salespeople are necessary evil and the process and uh, approach. And then what happens after the hire is very much around that, that sort of mentality and, and your mindset absolutely correlates to the action that you take that absolutely correlates to the outcome. And if people are thought of as less than, there's that. The other is uh, people don't have a good hiring process. And uh, I think I'm at four. I don't, off, off the top of my head, I don't have the fifth. And I don't know if I said five of them, but if I did, sorry. I probably made that up in my head. That's okay. Those are the top four. I mean, really I, I, those things. Well, I, I like the top four. So I was shooting from the hip. I thought I heard five. So clearly I was wrong on that one. So uh, I know one of the um, the posts that you had. So by the way, if you're not following Amy on, on LinkedIn, definitely do that because you, you post about a time or two a day, correct? If not more? Um, I, well, I, I usually just post once a day. Okay. I try not to fatigue people. And the posts that I usually do 
I try to make it meaty where it's, here's something that's going on good or bad. And then here's, here's a way or ways to, to deal with that. So I usually do that once. I know for me, if I see somebody posting all day long, um, I get fatigued and I don't want to be that way for everybody else. So you'll see, you'll see for me one time a day. <laughs> yeah. And, and when she does put out it, it, it put out the, uh, the post, it is definitely meaty. So I remember a, a couple of weeks back, you had posted uh, on a topic of VPS sales and how there are so many different variables that go into hiring that VPS sales. So let's touch on that first of the four on, you know, not, it's not a one size fits all. So let's uncover that. Uh, we'll start with the negative first. What do you see? You know, why do you believe that people just try to put, you know, sales is sales is sales. Is it a lack of understanding? Is it, uh, you know, talk, talk to me a little bit more about that. I mean, I say this with peace and love, but I think people don't know how to hire a VP of sales. And it's because, and I agree, Jason Lemkin wrote about this from Saster. There are 40 different kinds of VPs of sales. Wow. Um, that's not CRO, that's not sales director, that's not sales manager, like that's just the VP. And inside of that, you've got hiring for the different work that's required for the company. That could be a stage, that could be what's going on, that could be, you know, so um, a VP of sales at an A round startup is going to look and feel and act very, very differently than a VP of sales for uh, a Fortune 500 multi-billion dollar company. Those two right. things are not mutually exclusive. And so I think uh, where that crack in the foundation is for many is they just look at it by title. And they're like, oh, it's a VP of sales. And oh wait, I'm looking at their LinkedIn profile and they have taken their team to President's Club and they have grown the business 5X year over year for the last four years. and they have all these accolades. Oh, and they're speaking about these topics that we care about. This has to be our A player that we've been drooling to hire. Well, come to find out that person stepped in and all of the playbooks and all of the things were already set and they're managing that. Doesn't mean that, that, that they're bad or that the work that they're doing is wrong or that it's bad. It means that at that level and what's required is very, very different than the A round company that needs to build it from scratch. And most likely the person that's, you know, at that bigger company, they probably don't want to go down that level and do that work. And so in my mind, it's all about the work that's required at the stage and the marketplace in which you occupy. And yeah, that's we, we get it wrong. Yeah. We, we found that if somebody is a VP or even a salesperson that step you know, director at, at a larger company that s steps into a startup, they don't know how to get around the fact that they don't have marketing, um, you know, unlimited marketing dollars. They are the team. And then they likely don't know how to hire at that lower level, you know, because they can't say, Hey, I work with X, Y, Z. And that's why people are coming to them. They have to out of whole cloth, create the process, create the systems, create the marketing, create the, 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 the environment to want people to hire or, or join their team whenever there are nobody. Is that kind of a, a good summation of where the difference lies between that, that series A and the, that fortune 500? I mean, one of the many, yeah. It, so I'm a rare breed of being ambidextrous. So I went from a big company like Yahoo, where I was incredibly successful. I had 
a very finite number of accounts in my book that were a blend of uh, new, existing, and clawback, right? But that was no more than 50 accounts. So it was very, very specific to then going and being the very first enterprise salesperson to build out an enterprise sales function at a little company at the time called Indeed, and nobody knew who they were. Totally different, you know? And so I got a seat at the table at Yahoo because it was Yahoo. It was a fun brand. It had a Yodel. You opened up the collateral, it yodeled at you. That was cool. Um, to Indeed being like, well, wait, not only do I not know what it is, but now I'm looking at it. And if I'm getting it for free, why would I pay you? And there was no marketing. Uh, and there was a refusal to invest in marketing because the money that was being invested was all on SEO and SEM and not yeah. any other brand. And so, you know, there was brute force there that really required me to click in at a different level. I love a build. And at that stage that we're talking about, it's a build. It's not a maintain. And it may not even be a growth yet. It might just be the brass tacks of laying the foundation to make it repeatable, to make it scalable, to measure what, what matters and what works. Uh, and oftentimes when you take somebody that hasn't seen that before. So if you took me from Yahoo, the reason why that works so well for me is before Yahoo, I'd worked at smaller companies and I liked the build. And that was the reason why I wanted to leave Yahoo. Not everybody's like that. So if all you've ever done is grown up at the Yahoo's of the world, um, I would have a, uh, I would take a very discerning approach to that of, well, let's get real and right with the work that's required and not get caught up on the numbers that this person brings to the table. And that's where I find so many people get it wrong from a leadership perspective. They get caught up in the numbers only. And those are the shiny objects. Or if I'm a highly technical founder and I've never done sales before, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, if you were to tell me right now, Amy, go hire a VP of engineering, I'd have no idea. And I'd absolutely um, muck things up. And the chances of me directly correlating to a mishire because I didn't know what I was doing, they exponentially increase. And that right. same rule applies for sales, whether it's a leadership so, or it's an individual contributor. Yeah, so it seems like a couple of different ways off of those 40 different types of VPs of sales. One, it's going to be, what's the life cycle of the company? Are they start up or are they, they pretty mature? I, I would think some of the other ones, and correct me here if I'm wrong, but it's going to be, um, you know, are we channel? Are we direct? How are we structured from an inside? Are we outbound lead generation, inbound lead conversion, a combination thereof? Um, what are maybe some other variables that we want to uh, keep in mind before we start to identify this VP of sales? You've got enterprise, you've got mid-market, you've got inbound versus outbound to your point. Um, even inside the channel, you've got OEM, you've got, I mean, you've got a lot of different things to consider here. You've got field sales, potentially you have, um, all sorts of different things that can be viewed and it doesn't mean that one's better or one's worse. It means what is your business need? And so, especially when it comes to enterprise, like this is the big misstep that people, that people take. If you don't understand the nuances and the complexities and the strategic nature of enterprise sales. And you think you're just going to spin up a team and inside of six months, it's going to be this repeatable, measurable, predictable model. It takes well over a year to set that foundation. And so when you're hiring, you have to ask yourself, do I have enough money to support an enterprise function 
to get good people that know what they're doing, that have the desire and the ability to do the work that's required to build this out. Because that first year is a grind. You're talking about just building, 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 uh, brand awareness. I mean, especially for a startup, if you have zero brand awareness and you're trying to hire a heavy hitting enterprise seller and you go from a big company and they talk about their Rolodex and they're like, yep, I've got all these relationships that are going to translate. What happens when the Rolodex dries up? Because I've never seen a Rolodex translate as promised, right? The delivery falls short. Are they willing to do the work from there? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. So these are the things that people don't realize. And especially enterprises like my first business club, that's where I come from. Or you try to take an enterprise seller and make them an inside seller with a high velocity transactional model. Or you do the reverse of that. Nine times out of 10, it does not translate. And so this is what I need people to think about is what is required to be successful? What is your temperature, especially in the enterprise, for going through that journey of creating something that's sustainable in terms of the success that you want to realize? Because you can't hack your way to success. You just can't. Right. Well, and so you talked about don't just look at the numbers because yeah, people might exaggerate numbers a little bit. But the other thing is whenever you talk about numbers, how much of that number were they responsible for versus just being on a part of the team? I think a lot of people lose that. Um, now, how much do you look at the individual behaviors or the individual um, activities that they're going to have to do on a day in day out basis to tie the talent or the skill set they'll need to, to the job. Is that an, a required step in helping to identify which of these 40 different VPs of sales? And we'll touch, uh, touch on sales, just uh, normal sales other than that director and, and VP level. How important is that to really identify here's your daily activities. So these are the skills that you're going to need. Do we need to do that at all? I think whether it's we'll do a catch-all statement here, whether it's an individual contributor or it's a sales leader, it's all about the work. Like right before we started this conversation, I just had a conversation with a founder and he's coming off of his fourth mishire from a VP of sales perspective. And I said, what did we learn here? And you cannot blame every single candidate because you're the common denominator. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Every candidate didn't have a part of the story or responsibility or accountability to what went down, but you do too. And so let's talk about that. And a lot of the time, and especially in this particular case of a conversation I just had, it's about the disconnect between the expectation of the work and the delivery. And so to answer your question, I mean, we could, we could say tomato, you could say tomato. Ultimately, it's the work. What is required to do, and, and you could tie it to activity. You could tie it to milestones. You can tie it to outcomes even. Like I want to double our revenue and I want the VP of sales to be directly correlated. That's great. Let's take that big statement and backtrack it into all the things that need to happen to get there. And then that's the backdrop for thinking about the roles and responsibilities as you're creating a job description. And do you know how many people, Brian, take a job description from a competitor or they go online, they do <laughs> for this person, like, that looks cool. That had some fun language. I'm just gonna like swipe it off from there and I'll put our logo and some of our stuff on it and good. And they don't think about 
the stuff in between and that's the stuff. And so if you're taking that approach to description, what else are you doing through the rest of the process? Yeah, and that seems to raise a, a couple of other challenges then, because if I'm ripping, you know, we'll call it, uh, what do they call it? Um, repurpose. I'm going to repurpose somebody <laughs> else's job description, right? So yeah. I, I repurpose that thing. And then if I then don't know how to reverse engineer, hey, I'm going to double revenue. How are you going to do that? Whoa, Amy, you should see my Rolodex, right? And if we believe that's going to be the case, because that's how sales used to work in the old days, and I don't know if the old days was a decade ago or pre-March 2020, yeah. um, right? It, it, that isn't the way anymore. So it, it seems like if those are the answers and that VP of sales or that salesperson doesn't know how to reverse engineer from what you're saying, here are the results that I need. How are you going to get them? How are you going to get me there? At least at a high level, probably some red flags should be going up. Is that a, a fair understanding there? Yeah. And the best way that I, I hold myself and my clients accountable to those, to those flags and making sure that you're recognizing them. And just because one red flag comes up, doesn't mean that the person's bad, right? So nobody's perfect. There is no perfect person to hire and there is no perfect company to work for. But I think we can all agree if 80% of it is good and meets me where I want to be great there's going to be 20% that's left over that isn't, that's okay. It's understanding what's the 20% and can I live with that? And so for me, I'm a huge, huge advocate of using a scorecard of okay. doing all the things that we've talked about where it's like, okay, well, what is the work and why is this important to us? And um, what will this person be doing? And when I think about the other things that go into a good hire, how do we define culture fit? How do we feel about that? Like all of the things that sort of make sense and matter to the task at hand, all of that is criteria and it all carries weight. And so when you use that as the backdrop of anybody that's involved in the hiring process and it's a decision maker, they use this. And so that when you're debating behind the scenes and somebody's like, I love them. And somebody's like, I hate them. And you're like, why? And it's like, I don't know. There's a great culture fit or they're not a good culture fit, but you can't quantify or qualify how or what you might be missing out on the best person you could ever hire, or you might be bringing somebody in that's going to create a disaster for you. How do you know? And the best way that I've created through my entire career, and no, I have not created the concept of a scorecard. I'm not that smart, <laughs> but um, I got it wrong for my own self. And when I did, I vowed to myself, like, cause it felt icky. It was horrible. It was one of the worst things. And I, I, as I was trying to make heads or tails out of that, I challenged myself into thinking about how do I not do this again? Cause I don't want to, I don't want to be here again. And I was researching, researching, researching. I came up across an article from HBR, Harvard Business Review, talking about the power of a scorecard. And I was like, oh. Ta -da. And so through the years, I've made it my own and I have my own methodology around it. But quite frankly, all of these little bits and pieces, cultural fits and bits and pieces when it comes to culture fit, um, skills, if we're talking about a sales leader, it's not just your skill, it's 
your will to want to be a good people leader. It's not just the technical side of things. It's the people side of things. You know, these are all things that matter. Let's break it down. Let's define it. Let's get it on paper. Let's all agree that this is going to be the scorecard that we use. And then we hold ourselves to that. Yeah, hundred percent. And I know, uh, Carol Dweck, uh, wrote, uh, growth mindset, the new psychology of success. I think she talks about an idea to take what Amy's talking about here, um, really put what is a bad answer, what's a good answer, and, and put some scores in between. So you really what you're trying to do here, I think, Amy, is what you're saying in the scorecard, is try to drive out as much subjectivity as possible, because we tend to hire people who are like us, as opposed to the person that we really need which goes on to a good point here. I wasn't expecting you to say this. Whenever you're talking, you know, it, it's that mindset of what that founder or what that leader or what that culture believes around salespeople. Are they, are they icky? So talk to me a little bit about that because I hadn't, hadn't contemplated that or, or heard of that before. So sales are a necessarily, necessary evil. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Where have you run into that? Well, I've run into it firsthand in my own career. Okay. Um, where literally the founder would roll his eyes and be like, oh, salespeople are such a pain in my ass. Or be like, you know, um, the product is so good. I'm not even sure if we need salespeople. Or, you know, like those kinds of things where it, the words, I hate salespeople, very, very seldom come out. It's the subtlety of the action that's taken and the vernacular or the tonality that's being used to describe. Um, there's that old State Farm commercial. If you remember it, it's like they go through these different scenarios of being of saying the exact same thing, but the tonality in which you say it can mean something different. Like when you get a new car versus when you crash the car and you're like, what happened? Or what happened? Like it's a very different thing. Um, that's what I mean by this is you have to pay attention. So, so many people get caught up here in the surface and they just think about the big statements that are being said. They don't go way below here and way below here. The next step beyond the statement is I want to pay attention to your body language. I want to pay attention to the way in which you're saying things. I want to pay attention to your tonality and the inflection in your voice up or down. That tells me a lot. Um, and if it's always like, I mean, and I don't know if you're going to use this as a visual, but I'm rolling my eyes. Um, if it's an eye roll and a sigh and a, ugh, it's that time again, we've got to hire salespeople versus we have to hire salespeople. This is going to be such a great, see how it's different, right? right. It's, so um, those are the things that I look for. And quite honestly, in my own business, because I work with varying stages of startups and many of the startups that I work with come from highly technical founders that are brilliant. Sales doesn't come naturally. They don't understand it. And for the ones that I work with, they understand that and they lean into that and they're humble about it. And they raise their, their hand for help. The ones that I don't help. So I say no more than I say yes. It's when that happens where it's like, I just need a button a seat. And um, you know what? These salespeople, I've turned through three sales leaders and they all suck. See how it's a different thing versus a founder that says, I got it wrong. And I'm not quite sure how I got it wrong, but I did and it hurts. And I don't want to do that again. 
and sales is tough. I don't get it. I don't speak that language. And that scares me because that's why I'm getting it wrong. Totally different follow box. I will help that person all day long, but the person that's like sales is the necessary evil given the descriptors that I shared with you and those signs um, can't really help there. If you're the smartest person in the room and you know all, and you've never done the job, that's like me saying, give me some code to, to write and I'll be the next Steve Jobs. No, the answer yeah. to that is going to be no. Well, and it seems like good advice too. If you're looking for a sales position, customer service position uh, or leadership position in sales is to really vet that out. What's your belief on sales and, and to watch for this stuff because you will be the next, uh, you know, the, the next statistic whenever they, they go because they don't tend to understand sales cycle. They don't, don't understand the work to get that flywheel rolling. And just whenever you're starting to make, um, make headway, they, they chop you looking for the next person. And it, and it seems like the life cycles from that early stage seems to be founder does it, gets overly busy or realizes I don't really like this. Um, and so they're getting grief from the board. So then they hire a salesperson and that salesperson is notoriously an intern or somebody at the college that, you know, work just about for free. That doesn't work. So then they go and hire the wrong VP of sales from some yucky to yuck company because, you know, they had all the right criteria, but back to the earlier conversation, they don't know how to build this thing out of whole cloth. So then they go burn through two or three or four of those. And then they finally realize, holy crap, this is a lot more difficult than I thought. I need some help. Amy, can you help me? Is that the, the life cycle that typically comes around? I mean, well, the bad scenario, one. <laughs> there's different bits and pieces of that that happen. But I mean, I think you mentioned something that's important to, to bring out front and center. It's a two-way street. And so the scorecard rules apply to a person looking for a job too. And the one thing that just blows my mind, Brian, like really blows it, is that whether it's a founder or whether it's a person looking for a job, they know it's important. They know that they need to do it and they want to do it, but then they take a backseat approach to something that's so very important. And that, that just blows my mind. I can't tell you how many people I meet that tell me they're afraid to ask the tough questions in an interview because they're afraid that the job will get pulled from them. And I'm like, if you're afraid of that, now, what do you think it's going to be like when you work there? Don't you want to know this up front? And so um, that needed to be said. And thank you for letting me say it. But on the flip side, what you're describing, those are all tells. I don't play poker, but I know that term of looking for the tells. And I think it's really important in this is how is somebody showing up? You know, when it comes to a founder that maybe has done the things that you're talking about. I get brought in for two reasons. One, what you described. You've gone through the things and ultimately it hasn't worked. And now you feel that pain and you want to bring in an expert to get that right. That's a big driver demand for me. But on the flip side, it's, it's the person that this isn't their first rodeo. They know that the table stakes are high. They know that they don't have time to do a really good search. And they know that they don't have a team that's equipped that speaks the sales language fluently to help them execute a really thoughtful process that will vet the mess out of somebody in a really great way um, to confirm or deny that what they're bringing to the table is what I need. So let's touch that one right there. Is there um, one hack, if you will, or one 
one particular thing that you've found that helps to clarify the, those that just interview well versus those that can actually execute whenever you're, you know, let's say you're the founder, let's say you're that, that um, hiring manager for sales, anything specific that you can give on how to really vet good interviewer or good interviewee versus a person can actually execute. Yeah. So many people tell a really great story that's magnetic and it has a hook and you want more of that. And, and it's like ticking mental um, boxes off, right? Like, oh, okay, great. They talked about this. Great. I don't have to, I don't have to go through, through that with them because they just talked about it. Awesome. But it's like, slow down for a second. So this person told me a really great story and they told me about how they grew the business and how they've been where I've been before and that they've got a team and they've taken the team from five people to 15 people and all these different things. Those are all statements. Dig into the how. How did you do it? And the number one reason why people don't move forward in an interview is they can't get specific. So if you can get specific with me about the what, but you can't get specific with me about the how, or you're rambling and it never really answers my question in the first place, that's one of the, it's not a hack, it's just something to do. Yeah, and I would, and my belief or my thought on this, and you can correct me here, Amy, is I believe that salespeople are one of, or, um, you know, people facing positions are sometimes the most difficult to hire because those ones tend to be able to weave a good story or can tap dance on their feet a little bit. And if you don't know the questions to ask to dive down more deeply to get that, that clarity or specificity in their answers, you'll never realize that they're just blowing smoke. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that these, these are so challenging to hire, but I don't know if that's what you found or not. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's people take it for face value, right? So they're like, oh, you told me you did this great. And then the interviewee is expecting that, right? Like, okay, so I solved that boom. And I don't always think it's like this calculated conscious thing of like, I'm going to go bamboozle somebody. I don't think it's that, but I think it's like, okay, I know what to expect in an interview. I go to Glassdoor. I see the questions that they're going to ask. I'm going to get prepared. I'm going to go to modern sales pros or revenue collective or a Slack channel or LinkedIn or whatever it might be. And I'm going to say I'm interviewing and these are the things, how would you do it? So I'm going to get really well-groomed and prepared that way. And now I'm on autopilot for myself. Yeah. And I like to break the pattern, right? So if the pattern is, I ask you a question, you tell me the answer. Great. We talked about that. Check. I don't like the standard issue, read, rinse, and repeat interviews. It's when anybody asks me, what are the questions? What are the top three questions that I should ask or I should be asking to someone that I'm considering? I always say, stop it. Your number one question that you should be asking is understanding the other person. Yeah. And when you do that, you're not having the standard issue interview that they're prepared for, that they can go to any one of those communities and get well uh, scripted answers that sound really great. So let's say I'm interviewing you and you tell me, I grew the business last year inside of COVID 200%. I'm gonna say to you, that's amazing. Why do you think that happened? Yeah. Most people be like, yeah, woo, yes, you can, you can face adversity and you're resilient. Yeah. 
But when I say, why do you think it happened? And then I would say, so when you got into COVID, what did the business look like? And, and how did you adjust to get to that 20 or not 20%, excuse me, 200%. And what was the biggest obstacle you faced and how did you deal with it? And who was involved? See how I'm digging, 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 digging. I'm having a conversation. And in that one scenario, lots of things come up. Correct. Yeah. And the funny but thing you, is that 200, I was just going to say that 200% was a deal that closed you know, uh, on February 28th before all of this happened. And that's what made the year. So digging down, like, like Amy is pointing out is critically important. I'm sorry, you're going to say one more thing. No. Um, and I don't even remember now. So ah, son of a gun, I cut you off. Forgive me. No, it's okay. Well, no. And, and then you said, uh, going to hiring process, any suggestion, because they're not going to be too different. I mean, you're going to follow a specific path um, maybe three, four, five steps, but that's going to tie into also shooting, not shooting from the hip. Um, so let's talk process first and then not shooting from the hip, which is, I'm guessing is going to be a strategic alignment with, um, you know, your business objectives versus your, your talent, um, talent strategy. Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, I think that they, they, um, become exclusive, right? Okay. I think that those two things have to co-mingle. Uh, so when it comes to good process, it needs to be intentional first and foremost. So shooting from the hip is the opposite of <laughs> intentionality. So that's why I look at those things as being simpatico. They have to exist together. Um, but what I mean by a good process before anything is done. So this happens all the time in startups, you get around to funding. And, and this is one thing I will say for founders and for people looking or for executives, for whomever, it's one thing to have a growth mindset. It's a very, very different thing to have a growth at any cost mindset. And when it's the latter, it doesn't matter because it'll be growth at any cost. I don't care what you have to do. I don't care how you have to do it. I don't care what hacks you need to take, just get it done. And, and there's an expense to that and one that I don't want to be a part of. Um, and so I, that's where a lot of the churn happens. That's where you know, you see a lot of these VPs that just spin out within 19 months. It absolutely has to do with that. So it goes back to that intentionality of whether your growth at any cost or you're just trying to grow. The intentionality is to take a step back and to go a bit slow up front to go fast later. So that means what do our buyers want? Do we know who our buyer is? Do we know what the business looks like to support the hires that we want to make? And how are we going to do that? And are, is it the right time to be doing this? So instead of being like, oh, I got my A round and now I need to hire 10 salespeople. It's like, maybe you start with one. Maybe you start with two. Maybe it's a buildup. Maybe it's a different strategic plan. What is the business telling you? Because so many times I see people over hire and they do it so fast up front and then the business is suffering, the people are suffering, nobody's set up for success. And then all those people are let go. And it doesn't mean that the people were bad. It means that there was a lack of intention up front. So I think that's the first step is, what is it that we need and why? And then it's about developing a hiring process around that. So I talked about a scorecard. I talked about job descriptions. Don't just wing it. What are the things, it's like a resume. Don't just wing it. 
these documents are merely invitations for conversations. That's it. They're a backdrop for having that conversation. So these are the things, these are the critical things. You don't need to get it all down on paper. That's what the interview is for. But these are the things that help the person that's on the receiving end understand to confirm or deny whether it makes sense. Same thing with a resume. Everything else is all the context in between. So it is important to be thoughtful and intentional about the description. It is important to be thoughtful and intentional with the hiring scorecard. It is important to be thoughtful and intentional about the people that are involved. So there's that adage in sales, time kills deals, same thing in hiring. And in 2021, hiring has not slowed down for sales. It's still the number one role that tech companies are looking for. So when I think about that, and I think about what, what that looks like, who needs to be involved in the interview process? Who has a stake in the game? And for each individual that's involved, what is their role? What is their responsibility? And when we look at the scorecard and all the things that are in the scorecard, who's responsible for what? And let's be thoughtful as a hiring committee to be prepared. So anybody that we're inviting in for a discussion, we need to show up to know that we've done our diligence, we've prepared, we've looked at their background and we're coming prepared with some kickoff things that we wanna to discuss together. It's also the understanding that it's a two-way street. You're not just bringing people into your company, people are coming to you for their lives and their careers and that's a big deal. So are you giving them grace and opportunity to truly understand that it is a two-way street, that their questions can be answered? It's also about candidate experience. Even if it's a no, we're living out loud in this digital age. You treat people like jerks and they're not jerks. They have a mouth. And not only do they have a mouth, they have a platform, lots of them to describe what their experience has been, good, bad, or indifferent. They also could be potential referral sources for you. So again, it's like sales. Just because it's a no today doesn't need to be that it's a disaster or it's a no forever and the door needs to go slamming shut. It's okay, maybe they know other people. Maybe you wanna hire them in two years from now because they got some additional experience or education that now makes them incredibly magnetic. Maybe they could be hiring you one day. Maybe they could be a customer. Maybe they know other customers. These are the things. So, so many people take such a short-sighted approach to something that's so important. Employment brand is not a fluffy statement. It is directly correlated to everything that you do and the decisions that you make and how you make those decisions and how you translate them into action, not just word that people are paying attention to. So you got to yeah. choose wisely. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and one thing to keep in mind that, you know, for those of you who are looking for a position, just remember that you can really tell, tell the character of a person by the way they treat somebody that can't, you know, maybe they view as not being able to do anything for them. So you really need to watch how they carry themselves. Now, one thing that you said by doing the job description, by laying that out, um, one thing that we, we suggest is really putting the expectations that they're going to be held accountable for even in the interview. So if there's, there are certain activities that they're supposed to do, laying out those expectations right up front, because oftentimes I found, I don't know if, if, if this would be right or not, but I found that if you say, hey, this is what the day-to-day -day looks like, these are the numbers that we're going to be holding you accountable to, they, they go, I don't want to do that. That sounds horrible. Or I don't know if I could. So is that something that would tie in with that, that job description and, and that, um, 
you know, laying all of the, all of that, that, uh, so we're not shooting from the hip. I'm not sure of an exact word to, to use, but does that, that, that seem to align with the process that you use? I'm a huge believer of you set the stage early and often for how people are with you yeah. and expectations. That's everything. So I, I mean, it, it's like a foreign concept to think about not doing that. So yes, <laughs> it, it all, it all goes into play. I, I don't, I'm, I'm, my mind just gets blown, Brian, when I hear about how there's that classic bait and switch, like I'm telling you one thing and then you get here and it's completely different. And the closest you can get to understanding that to, to confirming or denying is to have conversation like that. So if I'm interviewing, right, I rather know now than later, because I have to now onboard these folks. I then have to support them on an ongoing basis. If I'm misconstruing the situation or I'm not being forthcoming about expectations and what the job really is, ultimately people want to be heard and understood. Even if I have some warts along the way, nobody expects perfection. And I think that's the thing is people are fearful of, if I'm honest about what the work is, they're not going to want to come here. Well, wouldn't you rather know now than right. a seven figure problem later that continuously bites you in the rear end because you got it wrong. And so I, I, I think that people are afraid. It's that vulnerability thing of like, I want to be honest. I think this is why my clients like working with us so much is we go through a really rigorous kickoff and discovery up front before any work is ever done. There's some pre-work that they do. And then we get the band together and it's really robust and it's very detailed. And part of this is, I need to understand the reality of the situation because when I take you into the marketplace, it's not just pitching, right? Just like in sales, when you just pitch something to someone, you're hoping that you throw enough spaghetti against the wall and that something sticks. Right. And so in my mind, it's let's be intentional. Let's be strategic. Let's be thoughtful. And ultimately people want to know the entire picture, right? So the real one. what's the upside, what's the downside, where are the bodies hidden and how are they thinking about those bodies? Because nobody expects perfection. That's okay. What I do expect is that you're not going to bamboozle me. That's not okay. And vice versa. If I hire somebody and they're a great con artist, and now I get them here and they're a hot mess. I don't like that. Well, if I don't like that, why would I want to do that to anybody else? So it's that double sided, you know, situation here where it's not just one or the other, it's both. Yeah. You need that transparency and authenticity for both sides, or it's just going to be a disaster. So wholeheartedly agree with that. So you've laid out a ton of stuff here and my gosh, we could go all day, but I know uh, schedules won't allow that. So um, any resources that you might recommend for those that are listening to this, that they might glean some more insights, any resources that you might recommend uh, for them to look over, help them out in their hiring practice? Yeah. So one thing, um, if, if they've enjoyed what we've talked about and they want more actionable stuff, come to Thursday night sales. Uh, we talk about this all the time and things that you can do. The other thing is I have written um, an entire methodology around a scorecard and that got published a la sales hacker. So if you Google my name and you Google the word score, scorecard and sales hacker, both articles will come up. One is for if I'm hiring somebody and the other is if I'm looking for a job. Interesting. Uh, 
the other thing that I think people should do is when you're trying to figure out what you need and you're not really sure what you need oftentimes comes from knowing what you don't want. And the only way to really do that well is to harness the power of a journal. I journal every day. Um, and so journaling is really good. Go out and invest in a journal. Uh, I also have a methodology on journaling. So if anybody wants that, hit me up. On the flip side, I love Todd Capone for writing a book called The Transparency Sale. And it's a lot of what we've talked about here about intentionality, but understanding how to have transparent discussions that aren't icky. Um, His chapter 11 is all about negotiation. That can be applied to hiring, selling, looking for a job. Um, The book is great. So those are just some initial things that people can use um, that I hope are helpful. Uh, very helpful. And then uh, last question, we'll go on to how people can contact you. So what do you see coming down the pike? 2021, we're kicking off. Uh, we're still remote. You know, give us some sense. You're reading the tea leaves, you're shaking the magic eight ball. What's that thing saying today? Um, if I were only Nostradamus, I would be really <laughs> responsible if I threw out a lot of platitudes. I don't know. I don't. I mean, I, I can tell you hiring has not slowed down. Sales is still the number one role that tech companies are hiring for. And yet it's also the hardest role that they admit that they have to hire for. Um, I think that a lot of the things that we saw last year are not going to automatically go away this year. And so um, what I don't believe is even if everybody gets vaccinated and we're all safe to go to work together, I don't think that this black or white scenario of everyone's going to be in the office again, or everyone's going to be remote. I think we're going to see a lot of different kinds of ways to work together. Meaning maybe there isn't a huge corporate office with an 18,000 square foot fancy thing. Maybe it's little clusters of shared office space throughout the country where people can go and be with other people when they need to. Um, But really what I think isn't gonna go away and it's never gone away is ultimately people wanna be heard and understood whether it's hiring or selling and the ability to do that and lean into making real connections with people and not just what's in it for me, that's not going to go away this year. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. So great, great, great stuff, Amy. I can't thank you enough. So hey, who should reach out to you? How should they do it? And why should people reach out to you, Amy? So I think people should reach out to me if they've enjoyed what we've talked about and they identify with this and they're struggling with any of those things. Uh, You're my people, bring it on. The best (laughs) way to find me is uh, through either avenuetalentpartners.com. That's my company website, LinkedIn, I live out loud. And to your point earlier, I share a whole lot there. So I'm there every day. I'm accessible. I'm easy to get to. And I'm, I'm, I pride myself on being responsive. And then Thursday night sales, those are all a variety of ways where people can, can engage with yours truly. Yeah. And, and that Thursday night, uh, Thursday night episodes are really good. Um, Galem, uh, Galem was on a couple of shows ago, and she said that she stays up until one or two o'clock in the morning to participate. So um, she's pretty sharp cookie. So she's doing that, uh, you know, definitely take Amy up on that. So Amy, I cannot thank you now. Some great stuff as I knew it would be. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, This is Brian Whittington uh, on on behalf of Amy Volas. Get after it. Happy hiring. Don't get you know, lulled into the fact that, oh, it's going to be so much easier because there's so many people in the sidelines. You heard it here first, Amy is saying it's just as difficult today. So make sure we're doing it right. Sales matter. 
get after it, make the universe better. Thanks, everyone. Be well.